never enough ways that we can help students or staff or faculty or third-party individuals, uh, even non-affiliates, to understand exactly how to report. Hello, my name is Owen Hulsbeck, and I'm a senior at Santa Clara University studying philosophy. And I'm Shansa Schmidt, also a senior studying environmental science. We're your co-hosts. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Q Podcast. To open up discussion, we've interviewed SCU's Title IX investigator, Jenna Recupero, to better understand the processes of the Title IX office regarding sexual assault. As always, we want to accurately portray the student experience at Santa Clara University with a variety of interviews. We do not agree with all the speakers, and these views do not represent the Markula Center for Applied Ethics. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email us at bigcubepodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy! As Chanza mentioned, we're joined here today by Jenna Recupero, and she's our Title IX investigator, which means that her main focal point is student conduct, while the Title IX coordinator, Belinda Guthrie, focuses on staff-related issues. Now, before coming to Santa Clara, Jenna was at the University of San Francisco for about eight years, where she completed her grad work and spent a lot of time focusing on working in residential life and student conduct. She's also a certified rape crisis counselor with the state of California, and she has been for about a decade. Now, she came to Santa Clara in August of 2015, and since then, she's been focusing mainly on Title IX investigations. I want to emphasize that we're so blessed to have someone serving students who is both incredibly experienced, knowledgeable, and passionate about the work. During her time at USF, Jenna noticed an uptick in reports, and this also came around the same time there was a trending national conversation around issues of sexual assault on campus. This was around the same time the hunting ground came out. So we wanted to pick her brain a little bit about the Me Too movement. So this past year, especially with the Me Too movement, we've had a bigger national conversation than I can remember much in my lifetime. Right. Have there been more reportings since the Me Too movement? Yeah, you know, I think that there's a variety of, of reports that have come in um, and, you know, not even necessarily that are recent occurrences. I, I think that there's just because the conversation is now open, I think that people feel more empowered to report a situation that perhaps they were not comfortable doing so yeah. on, let's say, 10 years ago. And the university has a responsibility to look into every single issue that comes up. So although it's something that may have occurred 10 years ago, if let's just say that staff member or a faculty member is still employed by the university, then the university does need to look into it so that we can determine whether or not there are any type of remedies that need to be put into place uh, or an investigation that needs to occur, to actually occur as a result of that particular report. Are there different consequences for different definitions of sexual assault? So if it's or if it's only misconduct, is that kind of handled differently than an assault case? Sure. So within our policy itself, we define sexual misconduct as a number of different issues. So one, it's non-consensual sexual contact. Um, two, it's non-consensual sexual intercourse. And then three, it's sexual exploitation. Um, within that can also be sexual harassment. So the contact and the intercourse differentiate between whether or not there was simply just contact or if there was actual penetration. And so that's where we have to look into 
how whatever specific type of behavior, however slight, with any object, you know, by force upon one person by another individual. And so our, our definitions for contact and intercourse are similar, except they do differentiate between the actual just contact versus penetration aspect okay. to it. But all of those are housed within our, our sexual misconduct policy. And so consequences for a lot of these types of policies or sanctions, as Office of Student Life would refer to them, um, can range anywhere from probation, suspension, expulsion. And it varies based on, on the case. Um, our office does not make the determination for that overall outcome or sanction. In fact, that is the Office of Student Life's responsibility as the conduct or judiciary aspect. So what our office does is we receive a report and then we investigate fully. And then and, make a recommendation. And exactly. Yeah. And then we make that recommendation to Office of Student Life. And Office of Student Life um, at that point decides, okay, well, there's a preponderance of evidence standard that's been met, so now we're going to formally charge a student with a policy violation and conduct a hearing with our sexual misconduct hearing board. Or if it is a contact case and not a penetration case, then in those types of situations, we can do what's called an administrative hearing, which is similar to a student conduct regular hearing where it's a one-on-one -on -one type situation with a high-level administrator mm -hmm. and then the responding party. Um, they're still taking our investigation report and utilizing that as a, as a base for where all of the knowledge has come from because my job is to gather every single aspect of that interaction that someone is making a, a report or a complaint about. Yeah. So. I'm getting as many details as I possibly can, gathering whatever evidence somebody wants to present to me. You know, and evidence could look like a variety of things, text messages, phone logs, emails, Facebook messages, Snapchat, you know, Twitter, any kind of photos that they have. I often ask people to present to me whatever evidence they have and let me make the determination yeah. as to whether or not it's relevant for the case. Because uh, a lot of times I think that people are just very overwhelmed with making the report and moving forward with an investigation. And so I'm trying to help alleviate that aspect of that additional stress of trying to decide, well, is, the, is she going to think that this is relevant or do I need to turn this into the investigator? I want everything, anything and everything that people want to present to me. The sanctions or consequences are likely going to be different for a case that's looking at sexual exploitation uh, solely, let's say, versus a case that's dealing with a penetration or the non-consensual sexual intercourse aspect to it. Um, and for good reason, right? You know, a, a, a penetration case is definitely going to, to be likely more severe than uh, a sexual exploitation case, which could be someone taking a photo without someone's permission and then you know, posting it uh, on Snapchat or any of those forums or, or aspects okay. to it. That's just one example of the sexual exploitation. At this point, I want to emphasize the fact that there's no special formula that X actions equal Y consequences. These are very much on a case-by-case -case basis. And I also want to emphasize that she does not move forward with these cases unless it's the complainant's party to do so. So what does this whole process look like? 
Um, I typically have a complainant and they come in and they give me a statement and then I ask them for any documentary evidence and then I ask them for witnesses. And so I'm not looking for character witnesses, someone to tell me that you're really awesome. Obviously <laughs> your friends are gonna tell me that, right? I'm looking for people who, if this was a situation where it was a, a party before, um, you know, or uh, you were hanging out with those people, went to dinner with them and then something happened, right? I'm looking for a little bit more of the what happened before, what happened after, who that person has talked to and told about the specific incident. And it's part of it is because I'm also looking for any kind of correlations or corroborations on the actual experience. And I'm trying to put together a timeline of events. And it's often the case where uh, a complainant might remember a lot of things but a witness might also be very helpful in providing me additional information of hey we called an uber at this point and then we got back to campus at this time mm -hmm. you know because those are things that the that the witness was perhaps focused on and the complainants not as focused on that for good reason i'm not looking at that type of information uh, to go after any sort of additional conduct measures i know people are often worried about well hey what if i was drinking and i'm underage <laughs> or if i was doing any kind of drugs those aspects matter to me for the purpose of trying to put together all of the puzzle pieces of what occurred that night they matter to me because i have to review whether or not a party was too intoxicated to give consent or what we would refer to as incapacitated and I, I look at those because that also um, impacts somebody's ability to recall timeline right so those are factors that I look into but if somebody was drinking or doing drugs that's not an aspect of policy that I that I look at or review um, or would make a recommendation to Office of Student Life to pursue. Essentially, if drugs or alcohol were involved, which is often the case, then those are things, again, that I utilize putting together the full picture, but they're not pieces that I would pursue in a conduct aspect. Yeah. Where I do have a responsibility to act on it is if I have enough information that leads me to believe that the safety of other community members is potentially compromised. And if that's the case, then I do inform the complaining party that in fact I do need to move forward and I'm hoping that they will take part in the investigation but that I still have my responsibility to every single one of the students and staff and faculty members here to create that safe environment. And so we have the responsibility to act. I was looking through some of the like online paperwork and things like that. Um, and I noticed this like paragraph that talks about mandated reporting. Yeah. Um, and could you just go into what that is and that the role that plays on Santa Clara's campus? Yeah, so mandated reporting, mandatory reporters, uh, we consider those individuals to be responsible employees, um, which is a funny way to kind of put it because I think that most times people assume most people are responsible, uh, but to be a little bit <laughs> clearer, it's somebody who an individual believes has the ability or power to make some sort of change or to modify the situation. And so oftentimes that's a CF or an NR or an RD, a lot of the residential life staff. They are all mandatory reporters, which really simply just means that if they are notified of this kind of situation, they are required to notify our office that, that they have had a, a report come in. Okay. We do ask them to tell us um, 
the name of the individual. So they're required to tell us who has talked to them about it. They're not just able to say a resident uh, has come to me or a friend has come to me because part of their job, their actual job that the university is employing them under requires them to give us that information. So anybody who has the ability to make those, those remedies or modifications, who someone reasonably believes could be that, um, would have to report to us. We do say again, those mandatory reporters very specifically are RCFs. Um, I think a lot of times people believe that faculty are mandatory reporters. Uh, in fact, we encourage faculty to report to us, but it's, it's, they are not under university policy required to report to our office. We do encourage them to report up and the reason for that is because if I get a name from, from somebody that someone's going through a difficult time, I want to be able to reach out to them and offer them support services and that person can completely deny the opportunity to come in and meet with me. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But I want to make sure that they know that at least we exist and should they make a determination that they're ready at some point then I want them to know that the resource is there um, or where they can reach out for additional support if they start to recognize that they're going through a difficult situation. So we are very thankful for our mandatory reporters because that's quite frankly how I get a lot of reports. A lot of students feel very comfortable going to their CFs and we've trained our CFs and our NRs uh, to, to pretty much say right off the bat, ooh, it sounds like you're going to tell me something that's really sensitive and I need to tell you that I am required to report that information to somebody else. And it's not because they're trying to uh, violate anybody's concept of privacy but they don't hold confidentiality. So the only people that hold confidentiality on this campus are trained clinicians under CAPS and also the Wellness Center. They're a confidential reporting center. So the individuals that are under the Wellness Center, such as the PHEs and the violence prevention educators, all of those people, because they're housed in the Wellness Center, they are considered confidential reporters which differentiates from the mandatory reporting because the confidential reporters, in fact, do not need to report to our office. They're encouraged to report to our office if they've consulted with the party that's telling them that information and that party's good with it. Um, but I try to create a good enough relationship with everybody at the Wellness Center to help them to understand that, again, I'm really just trying to make sure that our students have the support services in place. And if they'd like to come meet with me, then that's, that's fantastic. And again, if they're, if they're not ready to come meet with me, I'm okay with that too. But I just, I do want to make sure that they're at least given the opportunity and they're told what their options look like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's a key aspect and component. What if different reports come up with the same person that's being accused? Sure. Yeah. So that's that's one of our um, that's one of our aspects of of analyzation, right? We have to we have to look at all of the aspects that were given, and we have to analyze whether or not those particular incidents are related, or um, if they've occurred at different times and in what particular manner is the behavior escalating. So it's really on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, I, I can't give you like a exact, this is what happens all the time, except what I can tell you is that we, we very specifically look at each individual case first individually and then we also try to determine if there's anything else that correlates and if it correlates in what way. Um, it, it could be that 
you know, um, maybe two people had a similar experience with some with one with one actual potential responding party. Um, maybe those incidents occurred at different times. Um, that doesn't mean that we wouldn't automatically think that they're related, but we don't we don't associate them as automatically related or automatically not related. We have to really look at all the details that we've got and make a determination as to, again, do we think that there are any safety or risk issues here? Mm -hmm. And if we do, in what way does this impact one or more of the complaining parties or uh, one or more of the responding parties? Mm -hmm. So. It's a, that's a tricky issue uh, to deal with, of course, as I think you can imagine any of these issues are, but um, we have to look at everything on a case-by-case -case basis. Mm -hmm. okay. Having talked to plenty of students about this issue, there's kind of a general attitude that Santa Clara does not like to talk about the prevalence of sexual assault on campus. So is there um, kind of a report or are there statistics that people can look to and see just how much of an issue this is? Or in other words, do these reports translate into numbers? Yeah, so um, anybody, almost all the time, can actually go to Campus Safety's website, and they keep what we call the ASR, the Annual Security Report, and that actually indicates the specific statistics for every single year. Um, and so that's typically released in October, and oftentimes it's sent out in an email at the very start of the academic year. So when your email inbox is getting cluttered, then naturally I'm sure you don't even recognize that it's there. Um, basically those statistics are based on clear Cleary reporting and so Cleary reporting basically indicates that if an incident occurred on campus property or in a campus in a campus owned facility then that's where we're counting the statistic so if a situation occurred off campus let's say in San Jose um, at a club I don't know I'm making something up, but that's not university owned, then that statistic would actually not be within the annual security report, okay. um, which I know that oftentimes when students look at those statistics, they get a little peeved about the whole situation because they're like, whoa, that's some, that's some BS because I swear my friend told me about this or I know people that have experienced you know, this type of situation or this type of situation, but these statistics do not reflect that. And that's because, again, what's in the annual security report is what is based on the clear reporting system and situation and so that's going to be based on if a situation occurred on campus in an adjacent campus property or in a university owned property that is perhaps um, off campus but is utilized mainly by mm -hmm. the university employees or students um, in that particular aspect so I, I would love for the conversation to be happening more. Um, I'm sure you're not the only one that has that sentiment that Santa Clara doesn't talk about it. I, I don't want for people to think that we're not wanting to talk about it because we're trying to hide something because I certainly do not feel that that's the case. I would love to talk about <laughs> sex and sexual assault with people. Um, at any given time, I think that having that conversation actually leads to potential additional reports. And then our ability to uh, fight that particular concern on campus. If it is a prevalent issue, then we need to be made aware. But I think a lot of times the conversation happens between all of you guys as students and then isn't passed up to the administration. And maybe it is, um, but I, I don't know. I, I've only been here for maybe two and a, you know for two and a half years, so I'm also still trying to understand the culture, climate, 
of the university as well. And so um, I, I think that the conversation, it can be had and I think it should be had. Um, but I agree with you. I don't think that it's had enough. And I, I would hope that more people feel that there's a need for this type of issue to come up in conversation um, so that people are aware that, yes, this exists. It exists on every college campus, mm -hmm. everywhere, regardless of if people are wanting to admit or willing to admit that they're seeing reports. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this probably happens a lot more than I get reports for. And that's an unfortunate thing, but um, all we can continue to do is educate people on how to report. They can do that online. There's uh, there's the website. If you go to OSL, it's seu.edu slash OSL slash report. There's a whole bunch of different reporting forms that people can complete. Or if you go through the HR website, you can click on a, a link for ethics point and you can you can submit an anonymous report if you're worried about having your, your name affiliated. The only thing I'll say about anonymous reports is that it makes it more difficult for me because if I'm trying to follow up specifically with someone who's been impacted, if you're submitting anonymously, I don't know who you are, so I don't know how I can best support you. Um, but I recognize that some people might feel more comfortable initially reporting that way. Mm -hmm. So it's something I think we need to definitely get out there a little bit more, but only, I think, time and then continual efforts like what you guys are doing, talking about it in conversation is going to, to bring forth that conversation a little bit more. Um, and then I have one last question. Are you familiar with Aziz Ansari and yes. how he was in the news recently? Yes. And I feel like these really tricky situations are a lot more prevalent now and people are more open to talking about them and aren't so ashamed of them which is great but there's nothing I feel like there's a lot of times this feeling of well it wasn't actually rape so what can I do right you know as a woman if I ever felt uncomfortable with a situation but I know that it's not totally over the line what do I what do I do? Where do I go? Yeah, and I would still encourage that to be reported to our office, okay. right? You know, I think a lot of times people are so worried about, does this fit within specific guidelines? Um, our policy reads a certain way, yes. And we also want that safe environment on campus. So if there's behavior that's occurring, how is it that we can, if we can't, say that there's a policy violation because maybe it doesn't rise to that level how do we get to a point where we can help whatever whoever was involved or whatever parties were involved to understand that the behavior was unwanted um, or that it made somebody uncomfortable not always do our cases turn into exact policy violations sometimes one aspect of being part of a higher education institution is that aspect of education and um, being able to talk about it with people is really quite frankly the most important thing because when people don't come forward and talk about it that's when again we don't know that it's occurring so we don't know that it's an issue we don't know that perhaps we need to put programs on uh, associated to talking about those tricky situations those those lines that are very blurred for people um, and again let our office make that call on whether or not it's a it's a, a potential policy violation or if it's something that does cross the line I think we've got our policies in place which are great but if you guys as students don't think that those policies are are meeting what's going on on campus that's where I think it's really important to go through ASG and you know to to really propose some great ideas for how you see 
the need to to potentially change them. The change comes from you guys. Um, so that's really the important aspect is it it we can do so much as you know administrators, but we're also not on the ground with you guys. We're not the people that are seeing these things happen day in and out. We only see what's reported to us when they're finally reported to us. So really make that change happen if there's a need for it and this is the opportunity to quite frankly again talk about it more i think that that kind of issue um with aziz ansari it's it is one of those very tricky situations and oftentimes i think that people are likely more willing to talk about um, an attempted type situation because there's so much shame that's involved with uh with an event that's occurred to somebody and if they don't know how to label it or they don't want to then I think that that's a huge barrier for them to want to talk about it. But then there's also that sense of I can't relate to anybody or I don't, I, I feel so much angst around this because I can't talk about it or I don't know how to label it or I don't think that this person would be found responsible or I don't know what I would want to happen to that person. Um, but that's why even just coming and talking to our office is I think a great resource or talking to the wellness center you know they're confidential so they wouldn't even have to make a report to our office and it's even reporting to our office again does not indicate that we are required to move forward with an investigation I will absolutely do that preliminary investigation but unless somebody wants to move forward with something then I'm not gonna force them into any kind of situation that they're uncomfortable with because that's really it they're coming to me with an uncomfortable situation already yeah. so i want them to feel comfortable and confident about the way that we're approaching that moving forward thanks for tuning in to the big q podcast hopefully you heard some new information today and uh, learned something new once again i want to thank jenna for giving her time and i also want to emphasize that she's not just here as an investigator and a counselor but also as an educator and if you're interested in learning more, check out Santa Clara's online resources and think about stopping by the Title IX office. It's located across the street from Mayor Theater. In case you missed it before, if you need to submit a report to the Title IX office, go to scu.edu slash OSL, that's the Office of Student Life, slash report. Once again, that's scu.edu slash OSL slash report. And if you're more comfortable with an anonymous submission, you can go to the HR website where you'll find a link to Ethics Point. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, once again, please email us at bigqpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying this outro music, it is by Poddington Bear. It's called Saunter. Enjoy. <laughs>